Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I'm going to read one verse of scripture. This morning I'm going to I'm going to start just a little series here on Sunday morning and uh, based on the Bible, uh, but also on a very, very, very good book my wife had recommended to me. And uh, so uh, there will be portions of it splattered in uh, this series. And it's a small little book. Anybody could read this little book. See, it's not very big at all. It's called The Treasure Principle. It's written by Randy Alcorn, who some of you have written some of his other stuff, uh, fictional stuff. Uh, but this is a very good little book. Got a lot of uh, good... Uh, uh, information applicable things pulls a lot of good scriptures uh, together for us today amen but we're going to look at that I'm going to be teaching on this treasure principle amen for probably uh, the next three weeks and so uh, and if you're thinking about treasure you're thinking about money you're thinking exactly right <laughs> uh, that's what it's about uh, but it's good sometimes to look at that we're at a close of year we're about ready to go into the beginning of the year people make new year's resolutions uh, also this time of year sometimes uh, other things still people's giving typically I got proof of it for around here even and so it's good just to take a look amen at that and just uh, refresh our minds and our memories of why we do what we do all right and so we're going to look at that today the treasure principle Matthew 13 uh, verse number 44 the Bible speaks these words again the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Amen. I want the Lord to help us today. Hallelujah. Knowing our hearts and our minds, say amen this morning. God, I come to you this morning. I'm thankful, God, for your people that have gathered together here today. I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, that have made their way to the house of the Lord, God. In spite, Lord, of the weather, Lord, I thank you, Jesus, God, for them, their diligence to be in the house of God. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would help me this morning, help my mind, help me, Lord Jesus, today, God, to clearly, Jesus, articulate this, God, in the manner, God, that we can understand, we can digest, O oh Lord, for our own souls and lives. I pray, oh God, bless each and every hearer, Lord, today. Anoint them as well. God, you've given us ears to hear. And we want to hear, God, what the Spirit, God, is saying to us today. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated uh, this morning. The treasure, the treasure principle. If I may start with a quote and it is uh, very well and you got to listen perhaps a little carefully to it but I think there's a lot of meaning within it Jim Elliott said this he said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose Matthew chapter number 13 if we may it is speaking of a buried treasure Matthew 13 there are several parables that are uh, taught that Jesus is teaching in Matthew 13 and many of these parables relate to the kingdom of heaven uh, there are a lot of similes or likenesses that are given that the kingdom of heaven is like thus and so or similar to thus and so 
And so this telling of the parables begins with a great multitude. In verse number 1 of chapter 13, Jesus is speaking to a very great multitude that is gathered together. However, as we begin to read several different parables that come about in Matthew 13 in our text, uh, they could almost be split in two, uh, a set of parables and a set of parables. Somewhere about halfway along the way, uh, Jesus dismisses the great multitude and he keeps his disciples and they go into the quietness of a house and Jesus begins to share some parables with just his disciples in Matthew 13, I believe it is verse number 36. And so the parable of the buried treasure is a simile. It is, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. And that whenever a man finds it, look, it's important to note that he doesn't immediately take it. A man finds a treasure in the field and he doesn't just take the treasure immediately. Instead, it says that he hides the treasure again. So, you know, he's discovered it somehow. I don't know why he's in the field. We don't know why. I don't know if he's working in the field. If he's said, hey, let's take a shortcut through the field. I don't know why he's in the field. But by some means he's in the field and by some means he's discovered a tree. I don't know if he stumped his foot up on the lid or how it was buried or so and so forth. But somehow he discovered the treasure and he doesn't take it. But instead he kind of covers back up maybe where he's unearthed it. He's covered it back up and he hides it again. And for joy, the Bible says, goes and sells all that he has in order to buy, no particularly to buy, not the treasure, but the field. He's going to buy the field because the field was basically the receptacle for the treasure. Amen. And this was a usual thing for, uh, and even we learned this some in our recent history, that this is a usual thing for men or people of that culture to bury things that they deemed that, that was valuable to them, to bury them uh, in the earth. And particularly uh, during times of war, whenever their region or lands was under war, uh, they would take whatever was valuable to them, knowing there was going to be plundering and people that were going to be taking things that were good. They would go somewhere and, and, and bury their treasure, so to speak, or their money or their valuables in the earth. Um, my grandpa McGee was notorious for burying jars of money in his Yes, and his, his, especially you gone through the Depression, you'll find a lot of people like that. They didn't trust uh, the banking systems, and so they buried their money, their valuables, if you will, in their yards. You've read stories of generations that's come after them that, lo and behold, they found money in the backyard of their house they didn't put there. And so it's somebody else's valuables that came about. But whenever a people's homeland was a battlefield, they often took their valuables and they put them down in the ground. And so where they could go back, mark them in a certain place maybe and be able to recover them again after the war or the battle was over. So they would hide them in the fields or hide them in the ground. Uh, Jesus also spoke about in Matthew 25 and Brother Daniel spoke to us about this a little bit of the talents that was distributed uh, to the different individuals and the Lord tells about the one who had the one talent seemingly very timid about his investment approach or doing anything with the talent that was given him and what does he do? The scripture says that he buried his talent in the ground should have invested it should have gained interest But what it tells us then that this wasn't an uncommon thing for somebody to hide money in the ground. Uh, Particularly for this man, he wanted to hide in the ground what he wanted to hang on to. 
And so he, he hides it into the ground. And so other people are hiding their valuables into the ground. And so this man finding this hid treasure in the field, this would not be uncommon. As Jesus is telling this parable to the disciples, he's not telling them something that was not common to them or a common occurrence or common a happening for them. It was, it was a common practice. And interestingly, though, what is interesting is this man did not take the treasure when he could have taken the treasure. Evidently, the treasure did not belong to the present owner of the field. Because if that was the case, whenever the field would be sold to this man that is desirous of it, the individual owner would have went and got the treasure up, moved to his next location. So evidently, the treasure in the field does not belong to the present owner of the field. Amen. But there was in that day a common Jewish law that said... If a man finds scattered fruit or money, it belongs to the finder. It's our modern-day finders, keepers, losers, weepers. If a man found the money, it belonged to him, Jewish law said. So it's interesting that this man, though he found the treasure, did not take the treasure. Whenever he had even Jewish law backing him, that if you find money, then that money belongs to the finder. So he could have taken the treasure, Bishop, he could have, but he doesn't. Yet, according to the law, since he found it, it belongs to him. The treasure belongs to him. So this man goes and sells all that he has to buy again, not the treasure, the Bible specifically says, but the field. Just walk with me here for a moment this morning. The treasure cannot be bought. He's already found the treasure. According to the law, the treasure belongs to him. The treasure cannot be bought. It already belongs to him because he has found it or he has discovered the treasure. And so the question arises then, why in the world does this man go and sell all that he has in order to buy the field, the receptacle, if you will, for the treasure that was hid in it. Why does he go by the field, this place that has the treasure in it? And the scripture tells us, this one little verse that we read this morning tells us very plainly, for joy, therefore goeth and selleth all that he hath. For joy, this individual goes and sells all that he has. Amen. That is the reason why he's selling that's the reason why he's selling everything he's got. He's doing it. The action behind it is for joy. This person gave all that he had for the purpose of an emotion, a feeling, a security, if you will, of having joy. Because there is a good feeling that is oftentimes associated with giving. Whether it's giving to the cause of uh, a cancer society or to a church or whatever it may be, helping somebody out in a time of need, there is an association of joy that is experienced whenever you give that. There's a sense of joy. And that was a very tremendous commodity in that day, just the same as it is in our day. People are looking for joy. They're looking for happiness. And so this man, for joy, for the purpose of joy, he sells all that he has because in a joy-deprived world, he was, that was probably a greater treasure to him than most things, just to have that sense 
of joy. Again, please note, this individual is not buying the treasure. This individual is buying the field for joy. He's buying the field for joy. And so the concept then, I believe this morning, is somewhat plain. You cannot invest in the field without being benefited by the treasure. Amen. You cannot buy the field, or can I say what the treasure is invested in, what the treasure operates in. You cannot buy the field without being benefited by the treasure. He gave all that he had, sold all that he had in exchange for the treasure of the field because it gave him joy. And so the secret of the parable, what we really need to consider is this. The secret of the parable is this, is that there had to be some type of exchange. There was an exchange. He could have taken the treasure according to the law, but the secret of the parable that Jesus is telling the disciples that they need to get in their hearts and minds is there must be some type of exchange. The emphasis is placed in the parable that there must be an exchange. I like what John MacArthur said. He said the transaction is this. You give up all that you have for all that he has. Uh Amen. You give up all that you have for all that he has. You give up your life you give up your time. You give up uh, as well as we're quoting on, quote, unquote, our money, amen, for all that he has, amen. You could just take the treasure in the field. But there isn't a renewed joy with that, just taking the treasure. Renewed joy, no, no, not with buying or even trying to buy the treasure because the treasure can't be bought. What Christ has cannot be bought. It cannot be purchased, but it's invested in a field. And so the man says, I'll invest in what the treasure is in. You can't buy the treasure. This thing can't be bought. This experience can be bought. But you can invest in what this experience operates through and in. Amen. And for joy, you do that. Not for the kickback of anything in particular, but for the joy of just basically giving to what the treasure operates through. You get the kickback just for having joy in giving to the cause. There's a joy in investing. There's a joy in giving toward what the treasure is housed in, the field. And the kingdom is of a priceless value. The kingdom is the treasure hid in the field. It's of a priceless value. Amen. And evidently all all that this man had Evidently, all that this man had paled in comparison to the value of the hidden treasure that was in the field. What he gave up of his own resources did not measure up to what he would gain. Amen. And it cost him everything he owned, but he gained himself everything that mattered. Amen. In my personal life, I can attest to the fact that I've received more through giving than I ever had through keeping. Amen. Uh, even common knowledge, you got five seeds in your hands. You want, man, I'm going to hang on to these five seeds. Invest them in the soil. You'll have a multiplication of seeds if you invest it in the ground. Or you can just keep your five seeds. Amen. Throughout Scripture, it attests to the fact that our faith and our finances are inseparable. In Luke chapter number three, the Bible records John the Baptist is preaching to multitudes that have come together to hear him. 
and some that have come to be baptized. There are three different groups of people that are there around John, and they are wanting and they are asking because John says, you've got to come forth and bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. Everybody say that's spiritual. spiritual. Bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. That's spiritual. And so these three different groups of people then begin to ask the Lord what must be done to show fruits of repentance. What must be done in order to show this spiritual aspect of fruits of repentance? And here are the answers in me paraphrasing here today of what John spoke back to the people, these three different groups, when they asked this. One may be found in verse number 11 of Luke 3. Basically this, John's saying, everyone should share clothes and food with the poor. So what should we do in order to be able to show fruits of repentance? Share clothes and food with the poor. It seems kind of a little peculiar, don't it? Uh, verse number 13, he speaks to the tax collector, said, Basically, that the tax collector shouldn't be pocketing any extra money. Don't be taking any more taxes than what you should be taking. Again, how, how, John, how should we show forth the fruits of repentance? Well, don't take any more money than what you should. That seems a little peculiar. Verse number three, or verse number 14, rather, item number three, basically tells him in so many words that the soldiers should be content with their wages. They shouldn't extort money. And so when we look at these responses, all of John's responses to these three different groups of people had to do to some degree with money and possessions. Though the people wanted to know, what shall we do in order to bring forth fruits of repentance? Something spiritual. And it's here that we realize what we do with money, the money that God has entrusted us, is a spiritual act. And faith and finances are inseparable. They were asking about something spiritual, and he started to talk to them about something financial because faith and finances are inseparable. And so we see this connection between the use of money and spirituality occurs over in Scripture. In Luke chapter 19 and verse number 8, the Bible says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And verse 9, And Jesus said unto him, Send to Zacchaeus, this man is attest to that, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Uh, his lifestyle made him a rich man, by and large, because notoriously tax collectors was known as crooks. Amen. Then, <laughs> known as crooks. But here is Zacchaeus, a tax collector, that's willing to be liberal with his goods, even giving half of them to the poor. And if he's taken anything he shouldn't take, and he said, I'll give it back fourfold. And it's in all this that the use, listen now, the use of his money then was a good thermometer of his faith. Because Jesus says, hey, this day is salvation come to this house. Why? Because you're using your money different than what you used to use it. Faith and finances are inseparable. In Acts chapter number 2, in Acts chapter number 4, the Bible, we read the story of some newfound converts, some people that's been born again in the water of the Spirit. They're newfound converts in Jerusalem. And you know what? Some of the first acts, and I'm not saying this is what we do, but it's just, again, proving the point of faith and finances being inseparable. We have new converts, and they just came there to Jerusalem. The Bible speaks that they're eagerly selling their possessions 
their houses even, and they're giving to the needy and to the poor because their faith and their finances are inseparable. Uh, the young rich ruler comes to Jesus Christ and he wants to know, oh, Lord, what must I do to enter the kingdom? Eternal life. What must I do? And the Lord says, well, you keep my commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou. And he says, yes, Lord. He says, I know all those. I've kept all those from a young man up. Yeah, I understand. I've done this my whole life. And Jesus responds to him in Matthew 19, verse 21. Jesus said unto him, the Bible states, Matthew 19, 21, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So Jesus responds to this young rich ruler. He said, you've kept all these commandments. He says, that's great. That's commendable. He says, but now let's see how faith and finances are. He says, you go and give what you have and I'll give you treasure in heaven. You give what by terms of society you say is yours and I'll give you what's mine. I'll give you treasures in heaven. And the Bible says, look now, with that statement, the man goes away, you can read it in your Bible, that he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now here's here two, two contrasting things. The man in Matthew 13, a different, different experience. The man in Matthew 13, we saw him earlier. This man has joy. And he has sold and gave all that he had. And here's a man, a man that walks away with sorrow, presumably for keeping all that he had. So one gave it away for the treasure. He's joyful. Another keeps his and saying no thank you to the treasure. And he's sorrowful. Amen. His possessions didn't bring him joy. His possessions brought him sorrow. The other man's possessions that he got rid of brought him joy rather than sorrow. The difference of the two men is this. One was rich toward himself while the other desired to be rich toward God. Amen. In Matthew chapter 6 in verse number 19, the Bible states these words, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt where thieves do not break through nor steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also now what the scripture is not saying the scripture is not saying it's bad to have earthly treasures it's not what the scripture is saying what the scripture is saying is that earthly treasures don't last. I'm not saying it's bad to have earthly treasures, but saying if you're putting all your stock in earthly treasures, they will not always be there, neither will you. So earthly treasures don't only last. And it's not that they might not last, it's that they will not last. So it's not, well, you know, maybe they will, maybe. No, no, no. They will not last. Proverbs 23, 4, and I got a lot of scriptures. Welcome to... Bible study with McGee. Amen. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Labor not to be rich. Seize from thine own wisdom. Wilt thy set thine eyes upon that which is not? What's it talking about? Riches. For riches certainly make themselves wings, and they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. In other words, don't labor to be rich, because riches ain't always going to be around. They'll take wings and fly away. They're there, and then they are not. Amen. And so in the scripture back 
of Matthew 6, in the scripture, the Lord, rather than giving a list about where we should not lay up treasure, he doesn't give us a long laundry list. Now, don't get to that. Don't get that. He doesn't say, don't, don't put your treasure in this. Instead of giving us a long list about where we should not lay up our treasure, he tells us where to put our treasure, namely in heaven. Amen. Notice the phrase in verse number 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Notice the phrase, for yourselves. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, whenever you invest in heavenly things, you are literally investing in yourself. Amen. Because in doing so, you're investing in something that will last compared to something that will not last such as earthly things. Uh, you go to Tut's tomb today and you'll see all the gold and everything of the finery that King Tut had in this life. He's dead and gone. His riches are still here on the earth. Uh, there's never been a U-Haul that's been hooked on the back of the hearse as far as I know. You cannot take your treasures with you. Amen. The Bible says in Psalms 49 and verse number 16, Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased, for when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. In other words, he's going down the grave, but all of his goods ain't going with him. All of his goods are not going in the afterlife with him if they are earthly things. Whenever John D. Rockefeller had died, one of the wealthiest men of his time who had ever lived, after he died, someone asked his accountant, John D. Rockefeller's accountant, said, how much money did John D. leave? And the reply was quite classic. He left all of it. Amen. Couldn't take none of it with him. You can't take it with you. What we have, what we own, what we possess, we cannot take it with us. And that is, in essence, the first part of the treasure principle. You cannot take it with you. So Jesus told us then what to do. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So the principle then is this. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead of you. And that's the reason why we give to world missions. That's the reason why we give to home missionaries that are building churches. That's the reason why we even invest in the church that propagates the gospel, hopefully for a soul to be saved. Because all this money, whenever I die, I can't take it with me, but I can send it on ahead of me because there could be a soul standing there someday. There might not be a dollar bill, but it is a representation of what we invested in the field where the treasure was. Amen. And so we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead, ahead of us. Now, here's the thing. If, you hang, if we hang on to it now, eventually it's going to be lost. If we hang on to it now, eventually it's going to be lost. But if you give it now toward heavenly things, kingdom things, in essence, it'll be yours for all eternity. In some mode or in some way, it'll be yours for all eternity. So let's consider this joy that this man sold all he had for. Hudson Taylor said this. He said, the less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. Because what we call as ours is really his. The Bible says in Psalms 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Haggai 2 and verse number 8, the silver is mine. And the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. And I really 
like this verse of Deuteronomy 8.18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. I love that scripture. It's him who gave you health, strength, breath in order to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant where he swear unto the fathers as it is this day. Well, I, you know, I work for this. I work seven days a week, 70 hours. This is mine. He gave you strength. He gave you health. You wouldn't get up unless he put that breath back in your lungs that day in order to function. So whose is it really? It's his. The first principle of the treasure key is this. God owns everything and we're just the manager of his money. I don't have any money. Someone, next time someone asks you, you got any money, tell them I don't have any money. But my daddy has it all. I've constantly, as my kids have grown up, told them and tell them that anything that we have, we don't have it. God gave us that. I do consistently still to this day. My daughter brought up not that long ago. She says, Dad, God gave us all this house. And I said, yes, that's exactly right. She says, God gave us this heat. I said, that's exactly right. He did. He did. And he continues to do so. And so we're just a manager of the money. The Bible speaks of us in terms of being stewards. It's an awesome thought to think that God, the God, the creator of the universe, has entrusted you and I with his assets. Now, the key is he's entrusted us with those, not given them to us. He's entrusted us with those, not given them to us. So let's consider some of the responsibilities of a steward or a manager of money, if you will. Just three things I want to consider, just real quickly, that's in the list. A person that is a manager of another's money or a steward of another's money or assets, the manager, they, they manage the assets for the benefit of the owner. They manage what has been given to them or entrusted to them rather that's not theirs for the benefit of who owns that. Secondly, they don't carry any sense of entitlement to the assets they manage. It's not like, this is mine. No, it's not yours. That's somebody else's. You're just managing it. Number three, they find out what the owner wants to do or what he wants done with his assets. And then they carry out the will of the owner. Stewart, manager. Once a distraught man rode his horse up to John Wesley, shouting, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house has burned to the ground. Wesley weighed this in his mind, this news, and he calmly replied, Nope. He said, The Lord's house burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility of mine. Now, I know that that's, you know, I don't, he's a cut of a different cloth to be able to do that, but that's in essence exactly the way it is. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse number 7, the Bible says, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. That first phrase, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Everybody say every man. Everybody say each man. Everybody say each one of us. Giving is individual. Giving is individual. As he purposeth, giving is a personal decision. In his heart, giving is a heart issue. Every man, according as he purposeth, giving is individual, it's a personal decision. 
and it's a heart issue. Now look, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, that does not mean we should only give when we're feeling cheerful. The joy of giving often happens while you're giving and after you've given. If you'll consider 2 Corinthians 8 and verse number 1 starting, I want to read a few verses of Scripture. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7 and 8 uh, and 9 in that area has a lot to do concerning giving sacrificially and uh, people that were in a position that others might think they don't have the capability to give, but they were eager to give. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the churches of Macedonia are in a great trial of affliction. The abundance of their joy, they're in affliction, but they have abundant joy. They're, and their deep poverty, they're in poverty, the churches of Macedonia, but abound into the riches of their liberality. What are they talking about? The riches of their giving. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing, willing of themselves. What's going on? He said, he said, man, I want to testify about them because beyond even what they were seemingly capable of doing, they're doing something. Praying us with much entreaty, the Macedonian churches that are in a great trial of affliction in deep, in deep poverty are asking of me that they, that I would receive the gift that they're trying to give and take upon us the fellowship of ministering to the saints. See, there was a need right now, and Paul had made it known that Jerusalem was in need of some finances. There had been war, there had been, plund there had been plundering through their city. They needed some resources. And here is Macedonia. They're not in very much better shape than what Jerusalem's in. They're in poverty. Uh, they are overwhelmed with great trial. And instead of Paul asking them, they're asking Paul. Paul, we would like to give. You're in poverty yourself. You're, you're in great trial of affliction yourself. Yeah, but can we please? It was like almost they were begging Paul. They were entreating. Can we please? We want to be in fellowship in this giving thing. We want to take part in this giving thing. And so they're in a great trial of affliction. They're in poverty, but they're excited what? About giving. And as a result of it, they have an abundance of joy because of their spirit and their attitude toward giving. And the riches of the liberality is, man, they wanted to give in spite of their trial, in spite of their poverty. Because giving just isn't some luxury of the rich. It's a privilege of whosoever, even the poor. Amen. The historical background of the Romans uh, for the particular Macedonian people was this. The Romans had taken all their silver and all their gold mines. This is what was going on in Macedonia. They had taxed the copper and the iron smelting that they had going on. They canceled their right to cut down any trees for ship, home building, and they had fought several wars in the soil. That's everything that was going on in Macedonia. And Macedonia steps out and says, hey, there's a need over there. We'd like to give toward that. And it seems as though they were being persuaded to a certain degree not to give due to their unfavorable circumstances. But they desired of Paul, saying, Paul, we would like to give unto the need over at Jerusalem. They wanted to participate regardless of what their present status was in life. We go back and we look at the lady with the, uh, you know, the two mites. The Bible says that she gave of all her living. While others were casting in maybe sizable amounts because they were rich in dude, she gave all that she had. Some would say, you shouldn't be doing that, honey. But she says, no. 
She says, this isn't just for the rich. It's for me and just my two mites that I have. I'm going to give it. And you know what? She went away, no doubt, with joy as a result of it. Amen. 2 Corinthians 8 is somewhat that we just read today is a little bit in contrast to some of our day because these people were begging to give though they were seemingly in a hard time, a circumstantial woe. And I've seen at times other people that give endless reasons for not giving. These people are giving endless reasons why they want to give. Although it may look like they shouldn't be giving. There's others that say, well, this is why I shouldn't be giving. In Exodus 36 and verse 5, the Bible says, And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work. We love this verse. Which the Lord commanded to make. The people bring much more than the service for the serve enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make and Moses gave commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary so the people were restrained from bringing for the stuff that they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much so Moses gave the, Moses stated a need and the people started bringing they brought enough for the need, and they were still bringing it. And Moses is looking at everything. He said, I don't know where we're going to put all this. <laughs> they said, well, we're just going to have to restrain the people from bringing anymore. We got enough already, even too much. So uh, what are you saying, Brother McGee? I'm saying this. I'm not saying, man, any, I don't know if we'll ever get today. We'll tell everybody you got to stop giving. But what I'm saying is this. The people were so excited about giving, so conscious of just a need being made known that they gave more than enough because they understood the joy, no doubt, that was associated with giving and they had to be restrained from bringing in more because there was already enough and even too much that was brought. And so here's Moses. He made the need known, the spirit. And there is, I believe, there is a spirit of giving. There is a, you've seen it in this church at times, a message in, and maybe it's been along these lines, and we've taken up an offering, and a spirit of giving has entered this place and touched hearts and minds of people, and God has done miracles. That's what happened to NYC, in my opinion. There was a spirit of giving that just hit over there. Amen. But that's what happened. A need was made known. A spirit of giving came. Joy was associated, no doubt, with all those that, that, that had went forth and gave. It overtook them until Moses didn't have enough to facilitate all the liberal giving of the people and that's a miracle now I've, I've seen this a few times there are and there are some people by nature with a heart to give there are there are people walking in shoe leather upon this earth that have a heart to give whether it be to a church or to others amen that in some essences you almost have to actually restrain them because they give too much to their own hurt of their own finances they gave whenever they, they, they gave what God asked of them the 10% and their voluntary offerings and they gave an abundance beyond that till they didn't have no money for their bills now I'm not talking about not giving your 10% whenever it looks like you don't have money for your bills uh, that's a walk of faith you give it when you don't see it and it'll be there I testify again and again I've done it in my life but I'm talking about giving above and beyond what God has asked for us to give to a detriment and the worst scenario though is coupling a giver at heart with a taker at heart Because if you give somebody that's a, a, a giver at heart and couple them with a taker at heart, the giver will be ignorant that they've overstepped the bounds of their giving to the other person because their heart is just so liberal in giving. And let me tell you, if you're on either side of this fence, be cautious. If you like to give and help people, that's great. 
do so. God will bless you for it. But if you're a taker around here, I'm going to kick you in the seat of your pants. You're taking advantage of other people in their life just because they're kind and generous. Whenever you could have paid the bill yourself if you was a little diligent with your budget. See, that's the reason around here, and we, we help people when people come. We have them an application to fill out. But you know what I want to know? I want to know what do they have in their house? Do they have cable and other stuff? And they're telling me that their electricity is going to be turned off and they need $100? Do away with cable for a few months. You smoke and chew? You got some habits you're adopting? Do away with that for a few months. Because I'm not supporting you just staying in your house. I'm supporting either, evidently your habit too. There's money if you want to find it. Yeah, sir. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. I guarantee you, sometimes it means sacrifice on our part and it hurts our creature comforts. But if you want to find it, you let go of it, you'll find it. This is not going to turn into Dave Ramsey financing. <laughs> Amen. And so they gave until there's just too much. In 1 Chronicles 29, 14, David is kind of set back and overwhelmed by the people's giving in his time. He says, but who am I? And what is my people? That we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort. He said, who am I, my people, that we're able to give like we're giving? He says, for all things, notice, come of thee. He's speaking to God. For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. David is overwhelmed that he and his people was able to give like they were giving unto the Lord. But you know what David realized in essence? What we're giving to God came from God. They gave God what was his. Let's bring into the terms that we can all understand. How would you like if someone told you to hold on to a $100 bill for you? I'm giving you a $100 bill, James. I want you to hold on to that for me. All right? Then a few moments later, you come to me and say, hey, I want to give you this $100 bill. And you're doing it as though it is yours, as though you're giving me something I never had before. When we pay our tithes and we give our offerings, we're not giving something God he never had. We're giving something that's already his. That's right. Yet we approach him sometimes like that, like you should really feel appreciative, God, that I'm doing this. He never made you an owner. You're just a manager of what's his. So it's kind of, you know, I wonder how God feels sometimes when people approach him like that. God, you should feel like I'm doing you a favor. I paid my 10% tithe this week. Who gave you that 10% tithe anyway, buddy? Well, I worked for it. Who gave you the strength and the power and the health? Numbers 18. I'm closing. Everybody doing okay? This is just lesson one, okay? We still got two more. Numbers 18, and I'll come to a close. Numbers 18, verse 24. The Bible says, but the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as a heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. Therefore, I have said unto them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. Now listen, very carefully, this is what I want us to understand. It is true, as it was with the Levites, 
And listen, and I'm just real serious here, okay? But I want you to understand the concept. The Levites receive tithing of the people, all right? But not directly. Listen to me. Undoubtedly, I don't think it's, it's hidden knowledge, but what comes into this place, yes, there is a salary that's put out, deemed whatever is appropriate by the board to me and my family for Bishop and his wife unfunded pension plan for the revivals that we have around here when we have somebody come in the children of Israel and this is where you got to get the concept right the children of Israel was not giving to the Levites they gave their heave offering unto the Lord and the Lord then distributed it to the Levites why because first and foremost our giving and in spite of where it goes after that our giving first and foremost is unto God now through the channels that may help revival it may be a salary for me it may be unfunded pension plan and all the other things that it does but if you get in the mentality well I paid for that revival pastor I'm paying your salary there's nobody here that pays my salary God does First and foremost, we give unto God. Why? Because giving is an act of worship. We give unto God. I do just the same as you do. I take that and I turn that around and I ship it back to this place. Amen. The 10% and the gifts that I give to missions and to the youth and to everything else that goes on around here. Amen. Give back to it. Why? It's not mine. I'm just a piece of conduit that it throws through. Some people have heard Let me tell you something. God will entrust you with more of what's his if you can be trusted with it. And I, just personal story. This is not braggadocious. This is just telling you. We had NYC this year, a great time. They paid for a room. That's wonderful. Notably, whenever you go to something like that, it is understood that your payment is the privilege of being able to preach there. All right? That's it. So even getting a room paid for, that was just beyond my expectation. At the end of the week, they actually gave us a check. I wasn't expecting that. They had an inspired art initiative going on for the little kids that are orphans in Uganda. And they're selling art pieces for the purpose of raising funds for them. It's a mission. You know what I did? I told my wife. I said, I wasn't expecting this money. God's entrusted this money to me, and so I got to be trustworthy with it. I go back and buy some piece of uh, a picture that's more than any amount that I would ever pay for a picture. But you know what? God entrusted me with something. God entrusted me. Now, I could have taken that and put it down the bank, and that's mine. That's mine. But if I close my hand, he wouldn't be able to put anything else in it. And so if he can trust me with it, God's saying, can I trust you with my money? I give you a little bit more, but it's not just for you. It's to pass through you because there's others that lack and I make you have more so that they won't lack. But if you take it for yourself, they'll remain lacking. God's entrusted you. He's entrusted us. Amen. And, and he'll, he'll test us sometimes. He'll give us a portion and say, what can you do with that? he says, you know what? I think I trust him. You know what will happen? He'll cause other avenues come in your life. Stuff will land on you. The thing will be along the way never to get greedy because sometimes those amounts increase. And you're like, boy, I could really do a lot with that. There's a lot I could have done with that. But God entrusted me as a manager, as a steward, and this was his asset he put in my hand. 
And I may never see the kid's face that benefit from that, but heaven will tell the story someday. I'm just pushing it on ahead. It would pass on from this life, but I got the best FDIC insurance by putting it in heaven. You'll stand with me today. Oh, God, can we just raise our hands right now to the Lord? Oh, God, I want to be, Lord, a proper steward, God, of your assets. I want to be a proper steward, God. Lord, of these things, God, that belong rightfully to you. Help me, oh, Lord. Here's the deal. Here's how God worked it, all right? A little bit more on my story. Every year, my wife and I try to save back money for Christmas time so that when Christmas comes, there's money to do the buying that we do. This year, I didn't get the total amount that I'd like back by the time Christmas got here. We're sitting there. They're taking up that offering that night. Yes, we gave as a church, but we gave personally too. And I told my wife, I said, everything that we have left in that Christmas account right now, I said, let's give it all. We gave it all. What happened? We got that check, and I still gave back to Uganda, and I still got money back plus more that I didn't ever got saved for Christmas. How does that happen? Because he can entrust me with his assets. He can entrust me with his assets. Stories like that are able to be told by different people you hear because he can entrust those people with his assets. What are you going to do with what's God's? What are you going to do with what's God's? Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.